0: Starting a podcast can be very time-consuming. I've been doing it for more than three years now, and my biggest challenge was finding a way to distribute my episodes across major audio platforms in a way that was easy, effective, and free to use. That's when I came across Anchor. And the best part is that you can actually make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So if you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's going on everyone? This is George Khalifa. We're back with another episode of Let's Grab Coffee. I have the great pleasure today to interview someone, honestly, I look up to a lot in the running world. Uh, A lot of you may know him, uh, Dean Karnazes, uh, one of the probably the best runners I know, uh, someone who always delivers inspiring content. Time Magazine named Dean as one of the top 100 most influential people in the world. Men's Fitness named him the fittest man on the planet. Uh so it's, it's you know it's definitely for all for all of you who are working out doing crossfit this is the guy to track and keep up with uh his most recent endeavor was running 50 marathons in all 50 states in 50 consecutive days i could barely run one so i'm i'm really excited to see how you were able to do that uh dean and all the other great accomplishments you've done uh over the course of your running career and all the stuff that you're going to continue doing thanks a lot for doing this man
1: i appreciate you having me on
0: so tell me one thing. I was looking at one of the videos uh, recently doing a bit of research on you and um, I remember you saying basically your tipping point was it was your 30th birthday, uh, you know, you had a pretty secure safe corp job but your real passion was running, you ended up going with some of your mates to a bar and then you decided to do something crazy. Do you mind telling me about it?
1: No, not one bit. I, I, uh, I'll i never uh, forget that night um, and actually... <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I used to love to run as a child, but I hadn't run. I gave up running in high school when I um, finished my freshman year of high school on the cross country team. You know, I started to think oh, running's boring. I'm wasting my time, and I didn't. I stopped running at age 15. Uh, then I went through. Um, you know, I went to university. I went to graduate school, and then I went to business school. And I had a really comfortable job in San Francisco, as you said, um, you know, with all the typical perks of a, of a corporate job. I had, um, you know, a company car. I had a 401k matching program, stock options, you know, a fat paycheck. Uh, but I, I really wasn't, it wasn't doing it for me. You know, I, I uh, kind of followed the prescription for happiness in our society. And, uh, you know, when I kind of checked off all the things on the box I was supposed to have, you know, a good education, a, a good paying job. Uh, that'll lead to happiness. I was actually really quite miserable. And as you um, kind of set up, I was in a, in a bar in San Francisco, my 30th birthday, doing what most people do on their 30th birthday, you know, I was getting drunk with my friends. And at midnight, I told them I'm, I'm leaving. And they said, you know, well, where are you going? I mean, then you know, let's have another round of tequila. It's your 30th birthday. And I said, no, instead of uh, having another round of tequila to celebrate, I'm going to run 30 miles right now to celebrate. You know, and they looked at me and they said, well, you're, you're not even a runner. You're, you're drunk. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm drunk, but I'm still going to do it. And uh, I walked out of the bar and literally um, started running south. You know, I was drunk. Um, I felt the pain, at least. <laughs> yeah, it was like a primal instinct. And I, I sobered up about 15 miles down the road, and I thought, what the heck am I doing? This is crazy. But it just felt right, and I kept
0: going. That's crazy, man. I mean, it's such an inspiring story, too. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, like, everyone has had that kind of inflection point in their life where, to your point, like, you feel secure or safe in your career. But for some reason, and you think you have everything you've always wanted, but for some reason, it's not doing it for you. Like, you're not happy. Uh, For you, though, like, were you scared to take the leap, especially into something like running, like how did you know that that was going to end up being something you can also turn into a career? Because for a lot of people running is something they do you know when they're done, they're nine to five and they go run near the harbor. but for you like you you've actually turned this into you know your personal brand, your career, something you're doing to inspire people so how how did you get into that?
1: Oh, you asked a very good question, and um, you know, to answer your, your initial question, um, was I scared? Uh, yes, I was terrified. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine, uh, you know, I was married, um, uh, our first child was on the way, and here I was, I was going to quit a job, so I was going to have no health insurance, you know, no paycheck to rely on. Uh, it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. Uh, but you know, in hindsight, it was the, the best thing I ever did and you know you you said how did how did i know i was going to be able to make a go of it i had no idea i mean i was a long distance runner so the races i was running were 100 mile foot races and there was no prize money whatsoever in in any of these races i mean that was part of the magic to to me it was such a democratic sort of race because whether you came in first or last uh, if you crossed the finish line you got this everyone got the same prize and it wasn't cash it was a belt buckle a really nice belt buckle so you know, I thought, how are you possibly going to make a, I mean, how are you going to keep the lights on with a bunch of nice silver belt buckles? And so I had no idea how I was going to make a living and make a go of it. Um, but I thought, you know, you, <laughs> you either live the rest of your life in a prison with the door wide open uh, or you, you walk out the door and, and you, you know, you, you risk everything.
0: That's crazy, man. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's a message we all need to hear, especially at times where you get really comfortable. Um, and, and to your point, like I think it's something that you probably just dove into and then you figured out, uh, versus like over analyzing. You know, when they say uh, process analysis, right, uh, where you spend so much time thinking about something before you actually execute, you kind of just did it because you know that you knew that that was something you really wanted to do.
1: Yeah, I I you know like like I said I I knew it was it was a, I was passionate about it and I thought you know your your passion will take you far and you'll figure it out. And I just threw myself into it and and kind of, you know, figured it out, I navigated and I you know, I failed a lot. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of it's so cliché to talk about learning from your failures. Um but you know, the one thing I I really uh the insight that I've gleaned from failures is Failure doesn't teach you what to do. You know, it doesn't teach you what works. It teaches you what doesn't work. So I, I like to fail often and, and fail um, quickly because your failures basically you know, give you the lesson, this doesn't work, doing this, so don't do this again. Do something else. Um, and that's how you really learn from failures. You know, a lot of people say, well, you learn so much from failures and you can do the, the right thing the next time around. You, you you don't necessarily do the, the right thing the next time around. You just don't do the wrong thing twice.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And, and I'm sure like even training for something like it's – this is crazy for people who don't know, but you know, you, you ran across the, the Death Valley uh, in 120-degree temperature. Um, so this is probably one of the most difficult uh, – probably the most difficult uh, race. What, what did you say, Dean? Yeah. I mean, uh,
1: for you, for you listeners, you know, the, the, the types of things I do are, um, when I first heard about people doing this, I, I thought there was trickery in there or something. I thought it's impossible, <laughs> but you know, I've, I've run across Death Valley in the middle of summer. So I've run, you know, it's a oh, hundred and 135 miles nonstop, uh, in, you know, 125 degree temperatures. And you, you know, it's, it's, it's it's I even saying it. I'm like, how how does a human even do that? You know, you don't stop for for sleep. You don't stop to eat. You eat while you run. I mean, you basically just start running and you don't stop until you run one hundred and thirty five miles
0: in that you know hellacious heat. What are you What are you thinking about though? Like, you know, say for example, you're giving the example when you're when you're running continuously three hundred and fifty miles. You know, you 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 go three three days basically without sleeping. In the midst of that, like in, in the point where you literally feel like your body's going to crumble, what is what is going on through your mind? You know that
1: you, you don't think. <laughs> if you start thinking, you get yourself in trouble because it's it's too uh, it's too overwhelming. You know to try and quantify something like you know I've 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 just run two hundred and fifty miles. You know in in sixty hours of running, but. Uh, I still have another 100 miles to go it you know it's demoralizing and it'll just it 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 seems impossible so you don't think you you just execute you just focus on being in um, in the moment in time that you're in and uh, you don't get ahead of yourself you try not to reflect on the past you try not to think that you've got a hundred miles ahead of you you just think about taking your next step to the best of your ability and then take your next step to the best of your ability so you're just executing at a very granular level. Uh, and, you know, that's the way you get through lows. You, you know, if you start trying to chant a mantra or you start trying, you know, listening to music, eventually you realize that it's, you're just trying to d- distract yourself from, you know, the hand, which is really painful and really difficult. So I don't, I don't do those things anymore. I just literally execute one step to the best of my ability. And then the next step, it's almost like a, a zen-like trance you go into where all you're thinking about is just take my next step to the best of my ability. And I can do that for, you know, eight or nine hours, continuous, just thinking of one thing, my next step, my next step, my next step.
0: And you obviously like, uh, I'm sure this is something that you've built over you know, the course of your career, but like when you first started, did you, did you put a program together? Like how, how rigorous was your training for someone to get to this level?
1: Um, you know, for me, it was uh, mostly when I started out, it was mostly running, so I was spending a lot of time uh, running, and, uh, you know, a couple things that I did a little bit differently, I, th- you know, this this is a couple decades ago, I'm going to date myself, but um, very early on, I started listening uh, to um, audiobooks because I loved to read, but I was finding when I was training for sometimes six, eight hours a day, I, c- I couldn't keep up with my reading, so, and this is way before podcasts, so I would literally—it uh, was—they were CDs—and <laughs> I had a, you know, like a—it wasn't a Walkman; it was Walkman. kind of the next generation after Walkman.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: but I was listening to—you know—I carry these CDs in my in my running pack, and I would listen to audiobooks on my training. But it was mostly running, and then uh, as I got more sophisticated, I started incorporating a lot of cross training, so a lot of strength building, a lot of hit training. Uh, you know, a lot of CrossFit, doing things like that to condition my body for the rigors of, you know, running twenty-four hours straight.
0: Wow! Yeah, and I, I remember actually even because I, as I was telling telling you before we started, but you know, one thing I wanted to do was basically enlist in a, in a marathon for the first time. And uh, you know, I, I've i am basically like I'll, I'll run five to ten kilometers usually. Uh, I've pushed it to twenty kilometers when I was training. But one of the things that happened when i was uh doing this is and I, the, 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 I think one of the challenges was i signed up a month before so i had almost like a month and a half to train for a half marathon uh, and I, th- I think the training was going really well and when i pushed i think 22 was was the longest i've ever ran while training so when i ran the 22 uh, i felt like a, a pretty sharp pain in my it band which you know i've had some weakness in my knee but it wasn't the, the front of the knee it was kind of on the side and, and that really just made it extremely painful to even like run or, or walk in a, in a weird way, especially going down and up, as you would know. So one of the things I'm just baffled by, like how do you prevent injuries and, uh, and just keep yourself in a really good shape throughout the course of your training, let alone the actual day of the marathon when you run so many miles?
1: I, I think that, you know, through rigorous cross training, I've been able to, you know, avoid injury. And I really um, prescribe uh strength building exercises for runners. I think if you just run, I don't know what if you're cross training at all, but I think if you just run, uh that's kind of a, a recipe for injury. I I also encourage people to run on um I'll call them natural surfaces, but you know to, to us in California I would just say trail running. So you know you're running off uh on a dirt path versus the road. Okay. Uh, I think that, that's much more forgiving. Um, I would also say that, you know, changing up um, the, the terrain that you run in, even if you're running on a road, don't always run the same route, you know, day after day. Uh, some days run a flat route, other days um, find a hill, and even if you just have a small hill in your town, you know, do what are called hill repeats, so run up the, the hill as fast as you can, and then jog down, then turn around and run up, sprint up as fast as you can. And you know, even if you're in the Midwest or somewhere completely flat, um, find a stadium, you know, and and go run the stairs, run the bleachers. So change it up. Don't always just do the same run over and over again.
0: Yeah, no, it's very true. I mean, one of the things that I was helping a lot was cycling. So I was doing as part of my cross training, I was doing uh, much more cycling and, and a lot of yoga as well. Uh, just you know, for, I guess for the flexibility. So those are the two things that I was kind of tr- trying to include. Uh, and to your point, I think strength building is is uh, is definitely important as you do this as well no I think you're you know uh cycling
1: is is a great thing, and you know if you can't cycle if you belong to a gym, you can just get on the um uh you know the exercise bike or the recumbent bike yeah but um cycling is is a good way to strengthen your quads
0: What keeps you going now like having done all this stuff, one of the things <laughs> I've been really meaning to ask you is like you know, when you wake up in the morning and you have to go for another run, what what, what is really motivating you at this point?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I, <clears throat> I embrace a lot of different challenges. So, uh, you know, when I was younger, it was the challenge of just doing these most uh, extreme races in the most extreme places on Earth. So, you know, I've run across the Sahara. Uh, we talked about running across uh, Death Valley. You know, I've run a marathon to the South Pole. Um, so these kind of adventures... Uh, really kept me going. You know, you mentioned about running 50 marathons in all 50 states in 50 days. I mean, that's more than just running. It combines adventure and travel with running. So it's, it's more of an expedition. And to me, that's quite enjoyable, uh, is doing things other than just racing. I, I certainly do um, a lot of racing myself, uh, you know, where I'm running a marathon or an ultra marathon. But these sort of adventure races that I just kind of self-conceive um, those to me are more exciting and they keep things fresh, so that's one way I've kept going. Um, you know, the other challenge um, that I face every day is, is becoming an older athlete. Like, how do, you, how do you retain your level of competitiveness? So kind of embracing the fact that I've got to work twice as hard now than I used to when I was a younger man just to get the same results. Yeah. So really looking at um, optimizing my training and my lifestyle to, uh, to perform at my best.
0: Yeah, that's very true. And uh, even as I think, like when you were saying, you know, when you when you first took that leap, you you know, you had a, a child on the way. Obviously, you were married, and uh, you know, that's obviously something very difficult. Especially like given the amount of time that you invest to train and do the marathon and all this stuff. Uh, you know, if you don't mind me asking on the personal side, because I think it'll help a lot of people in my community too, maybe even entrepreneurs. You know, who devote a lot of time to whatever task or, or venture they're doing. Uh, how do you like? How did you basically sell your wife at the time on, on, on the vision of this and, and what it could become, especially something so left field like you know taking on running as a career?
1: Well, you'd have to know my wife. I mean i'll I'll, I'll digress <laughs> a bit and say that um I you know i I met her in high school, we met when we were fourteen, and she's been my only girl ever since, so and you know we've been married now for uh <laughs> 30 years. Wow. I got married. We got married pretty young, but I mean, she's she's been my soulmate. And when I went to her and said, you know, Julie, I'm, <laughs> I've got some news. I'm gonna I'm gonna resign from my job, and I'm gonna become a runner. Uh, she looked at me and she said, Yeah, I wonder why it took you so long. Wow. So I've got uh, a a partner that is so supportive of everything I do. Maybe naively so. <laughs> you know, she she just trusts me, uh, and just. She gives me blanket trust, and I've never violated that. So maybe that's why she continues to trust me. But she's just been incredibly supportive. My whole family has been incredibly
0: supportive. Wow, that's amazing, man, especially when you say, you know, uh, when she had the instinct that you basically had and, uh, and being so open with it, that must be, uh, must be a driving force for you as well, like when you do this running, that it gives you kind of a stronger purpose, not just for yourself, but for obviously the people you're doing it for.
1: Well, you know, the people you know, people come to me and say, you know, how do you do what you do? And, you know, what's, what's the trick? <laughs> and I'm always amused by that because I don't think there's a single trick. I mean, I look at myself, and I encourage you and, and all the people that are listening to this as well to, um, to view yourself through the lens of an athlete. So consider yourself an athlete, and everything you do is um, to optimize – you know, being the best, the best animal you can be, the best beast you can be. So that means, obviously, training. It means diet and nutrition, clearly. Uh, it also means good quality sleep, which is so right. important for, uh, for rest and recovery. Um, but the other thing I think that a lot of athletes neglect is their interpersonal relationships. If you don't have solid interpersonal relationships, you know, if there's, if there's disruption in your interpersonal relationships with, you know, either your partner or your friends and family – you can't perform at your, at your best. You're not the best animal you can be. So I always stress that, you know, when people say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm having a hard time with this and that, and I ask them what they're doing, they say, I'm training well, you know, I'm eating well. You know, I always kind of say, well, you know, how, how are your relationships? Right. And almost inevitably people say, ah, you know, I'm, I'm really – I'm not getting along with X. Uh, I, I always say that you know that's that's gonna in, that's gonna impact your performance. I have to say that it's negligibly gonna impact your performance. So I've really um, focused on having harmonious interpersonal relationships.
0: Well, yeah, that, I mean I think that's a strong message, man, and I think that's probably something a lot of people don't really recognize. To your point, it's not just the training; it's not just being you know a great athlete, but it's what happens when you're not on the pavement or on the you know on the trail running. Um, let, let's quickly get into the diet side. I just want to kind of uh, ping you on this and see like w- what are some things you do, like uh, what kind of diet lifestyle do you have? Is it kind of open? Because I'm assuming you're consuming uh, a good chunk of calories while you're burning a lot of this during the day. Yeah, well,
1: I think I'll never live down a story in my, in my first book where uh, I was running a 200-mile a 12-person uh, relay race but I was running it just as solo. I was just one person. I didn't have 11 teammates yes. and I was out in the, I was running out in the middle of the night in this back country road and I, I didn't have any food and I was, I was starving but I had a cell phone and a credit card. So I <laughs> ordered a pizza. <laughs> That's so funny. And I, I, yeah. This guy delivered a pizza to me as I was running. Uh, so I used, you know, in, in, you know, in, in a secure, securitist an, uh, answer to your question, um, I used to just think a calorie was a calorie, you know, if it's pizza, however you get a calorie in your body is fine. Uh, but I've kind of come full circle now and realized that uh, that, you know, the, the quality of the food you're eating matters. And I about uh, maybe 15 years ago, um, became paleo. I mean, they, they didn't, there wasn't really a term paleo back then. But that's kind of the direction I took my diet. So about 15 years ago, I made a shift and uh, you know, I basically, Describe my diet. Uh, if you know, if you can't pick it from a tree, if you can't dig it up from the earth, you know, if you can't catch it with your hands or with a hook, you know, like wild game or wild um, hot seafood, uh, I don't eat it. So nothing processed, nothing refined, nothing in a bag. Uh, it's all natural products that I eat, mostly organic, and largely uncooked. I very, you know, I, I lightly cook my my meat, my protein,
0: um, but mostly everything else is uncooked, raw. That's awesome, man. Well, that's, that's good to know as well, uh, just in terms of that pivot that you made. And I think that's an important message for a lot of people, right? Because especially when if it fits your macros, came about I remember like weighing my food and tracking my calories. And basically the message was not that they were pr- promoting, you know, a donut is equal to an apple, but basically they were saying if you're really tracking your macros and you have, say, 200 calories left in your day, then you can get away with like a Krispy Kreme donut, you know? Uh, but obviously... I, you know, I- yeah. yeah, no, I
1: think that's a fallacy, and I think the whole the whole idea of uh, you know taking cheat days. I mean, I hear a lot of people promoting, oh yeah, I eat you know I eat healthy five days a week, but on the weekend I cheat. I think that that is psychologically undermining your efforts. I mean, you you shouldn't want a Krispy Kreme donut, and if you still long for Krispy Kreme and you're forcing yourself not to eat that shit, then you know then you're you're traumatizing yourself. Um, to me, I just kind of the foods that i, I couldn't have like crispy cream donuts or potato chips or french fries or junk food i just blacklisted that food and said you know that's that'd be like eating a tennis ball like you don't even desire that stuff so now when i walk past a bakery you know and i smell freshly baked bread you know someone next to me is going nuts like oh i got it we got to stop i'm so i'm starving <laughs> it doesn't even it doesn't even impact me like it's we walk into a a bakery and it's like i look at the stuff it's not even within the realm of what i'll put in my mouth so it doesn't i don't feel i don't long for it at all i just know that i don't eat this shit so it doesn't appeal to me
0: <laughs> yeah and you almost you re, you almost rewired your brain right like you changed your palate uh so obviously it takes a lot of conditioning and hard work to get to that level
1: yeah, yeah. i mean i again i think i think the way i i you know it's 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 almost like, um, you know, an alcoholic going into a 12-step program. I mean, when you're an alcoholic, you don't drink. There's no such thing as a casual alcoholic. I mean, there's a saying, you know, one drink, one drunk. And I thought the same thing with junk food. Like, you you just need – you can't casually eat junk food. It's addicting. These foods are addicting. Sugars addicting. We know that. So just cut it completely, uh, and that's what I did. And it it – it didn't seem that like it didn't seem like I was making great sacrifices because i just said you know here's a list of food that is you can't consider like this food you just will not
0: eat it like a blacklist.
1: yeah it became very clear like okay well you can eat fresh fruit you can eat fresh vegetables you know you can eat lean meats uh, you can eat olive oil you know you can eat avocados uh, it, was, it it didn't seem like i was it was that difficult to do
0: gotcha Gotcha. I
1: think it would have been much more difficult if I had said, well, I'll cheat on the weekends because I'm, then I'm longing for these things exactly. that are on the blacklist. And instead, I just thought, just put them on the blacklist and that's where they belong forever.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's pretty smart, too, because otherwise it's like a scapegoat, right? It's like you're working hard all week so you can have this escape. And, and it's almost like it's reversing it because it's almost saying like this week is you're, you're putting yourself in like a prison until you 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 get you become free on friday and you could let loose and have whatever you want and that's not supposed to be the right psychology that you you put yourself in
1: that's what i'm exactly what i i'm saying i i so believe that
0: got you one last thing before we uh before we end this because i know uh you know i don't want to take up too much of your time but one of the things that you know in my community obviously you, you know a lot of listeners are between 20 and 30 and uh what I really want to ask is, from everything you've done to everything you're still looking forward to do, what are some things that you've learned now that looking back, like you wish you kind of uh, had in your toolbox uh, as you as you grew up, like are there big learning lessons? are there big things that you've learned maybe from failures or challenges that that you could share? Well, I mean y- you have
1: to remember that um, you know I'm a couple uh, generations ahead of most of you, your listeners and and you. And back when I kind of set my own path through life, it you just didn't do it. There wasn't like now. There's a jobbing economy. A lot of people. The message of like, hey, you know, do what you love. Um, that that message now is almost commonplace. But when I resigned from my job a couple decades ago, people are like, what? You're gonna, if you're going to become a runner? Like you're going to you're not going to work for the you know this this massive corporation? That's crazy. But now it's much more commonplace. So. You know, I, I, encourage, I encourage you, especially when you're in your, you know, your 20s and you have that kind of leeway to fail, um, do, you know, literally what I say is just uh, script your perfect life. So just take a, a pen or get, grab your laptop or your iPad, you know, your, iP- your pad, whatever you want, and just freeform stream of conscious, write what a perfect tomorrow would look like. And get very detail-oriented, very granular. So if you could wake up tomorrow doing whatever you wanted to do that you think would be most fulfilling, write that down. So write down exactly where you'd live, you know, exactly what car you'd be driving or what car you wouldn't be driving, um, you know, exactly uh, what you'd be doing for a living. And, and that way you have some indication of where you want to go because if, you, if you're not clear on where you want to go, you'll never get there. And, you know, I say this to a lot of people and, and they say, well, okay, I, I'll tell you what. I want to be sitting on a beach in Tahiti drinking Mai tai That's like my ideal tomorrow. <clears throat> and, I, you know, and then I say to them, well, think about that. Is it going to be that fulfilling, you know, to sit on a beach in Tahiti and drink Mai Tais day after day? And they realize, no, you're right. Actually, that's that, I, it's not really what I would be doing if I could script my perfect tomorrow. So I really I encourage people to, to do that. And, and that way, it could put you in touch with what you really want to do in life.
0: Right. Well, <laughs> that, that's amazing. It's a great message. Uh, I really appreciate that, Dean. And, and maybe for, for those listening, how can they connect? How can they follow you? Uh, maybe talk about your Instagram, where you're most active on, on social channels.
1: Yeah. Oh, I mean, <laughs> just, just Google my name. Um, so Dean and my last name starts with a K. I think someone said to me, if you do, if you Google Dean these days, I'm like the first person that comes up. Amazing. So uh, yeah, Thank I mean, yeah, carnassus So K A R N A S D E S. But you know, whatever I've got, obviously a website, I've got, you know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. So, however, you want to uh, connect with me, and you know, if you're if you're really like, I, I want to learn more about this guy. His story sounds kind of fascinating. Um, pick up a copy of my first book, Ultra Marathon Man, and and that'll sh- it'll kind of show you what I did to uh, follow my dreams.
0: Amazing, amazing. A man with a purpose. A man with a message. Thanks a lot, Dean. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to be here, man. As I mentioned to you before we even started, uh, I looked. I, I still do, honestly, in terms of my uh, my journey to running. Uh, look up to a lot of the things you've done and, and are still doing and uh hope to keep pursuing my dreams and uh you know and, uh, to be consistent with your message as well
1: well oh, i appreciate you having me on the show i'm glad we got this uh we finally did it i We've know
0: been talking a long time so i'm glad it happened